with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of SBL Shootaround. We're here to have a look at everything involving the men's game here in Western Australia. And it's our NCAA tournament, Ben, that's taken off. And that's where a lot of our excitement lies. We're, we're here to crown the ultimate SBL championship winning team. We'll do that before the West Coast Classic gets underway and we see some live basketball action for 2020. And we're right into our round of 32 voting right now. And as a result of that, we've got three men to talk to on this week's show who have all won championships in the SBL. So I'll let you announce who we're going to speak to. But one one of them is a father and son combo, which I just can't can't wait to speak to. And the other man is a hero of yours that you've spoken about already quite a bit here so far on SBL Shoot Around. So I can't wait to get stuck into all of that. And we'll also hear from Mark Utley and yourself about your predictions on who you think should advance in this tournament. Plenty more to talk about as well as as we get closer to live basketball action as I talked about. So that's all for me in this intro for this week. I'm Chris Pike. Now, the man that you have all tuned in to hear from, and hopefully he is creating maybe a different impression of himself than you might have thought when he was sitting sidelines across the last decade at SBL Games. Ben Etridge, how do I find you this week? Yeah, uh, very good, thank you. Looking forward to having a bit of a chat to the three gents you got on tonight and seeing where people are at with their CAA tournament bracket. Uh, it seems generating a lot of discussions around uh, the different places, and I know not only people that have been um, involved directly in the SBL, but I know the old school last night at our New uh, League basketball game, they were all having a bit of a chat about the, the players they remembered and the grand finals they remembered to go and going to as well. And um, yeah, it just seems to be spurring that um, that basketball chatter, which is what we love to have. Absolutely. it's It's been a, been a terrific journey for me, almost a history lesson. And hopefully that is the case for a lot of our listeners too, who might be of the current generation to learn a lot about the history of, of the league. Because when you go through the last 32 years, we've had some incredible teams and incredible players that have played in this state. So it's been a fascinating journey. Now, our guest this week, we, we couldn't have almost come up with three better men to speak to. One is a reigning champion on the team from the Geraldton Buccaneers last year. One of them is an all-time great of the SBL, came out as an import ended up staying forever and was part of the inaugural championship winning team also in Geraldton and another man who was a championship winner at the Coburn Cougars in 1992. Can you fill us in on who we'll be hearing from? Yeah, look, um, Michael Farrell was, uh, as you said, someone that I looked up to immensely um, growing up in that sort of Coburn Willerton area. Um, Michael was an 18-year-old and grabbed the range mm. of the Cougars in 92 and um, led them to a championship, essentially, and uh, him and Martin Catalini formed a formidable combination there for a long time through, through that, that Coburn Junior program. And then Dan Hunt, again, we, we talked about Snoopy Graham dropping uh, 83 points. Dan also <laughs> did the same thing uh, mm. not too long after. So a big-time player, and, and Dan probably the... The man responsible for building the, the the dynasty and the legacy that is up there in uh, in Geraldton and and has produced two very 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 good players in his, in his sons uh, yep. and, and as we saw last year with Liam dominating that grand final with a with a Herculean performance there so really excited to speak to Michael have been having a few chats to him offline about this conversation and yeah looking forward to seeing Dan and Liam discuss who they think would 
win out of their two respective championship teams. Yeah, it's a fa- it's a fascinating way that it's turned out, as we talked about last week. The fact that that team that, that Dan Hunt ended up being the playing coach of at East Perth in 1988, up against his, his son's team of the Bucks last year, it's it's just remarkable how these things turn out. We didn't plan it this way. It just uh, sometimes fate just takes over. It does, and again, I just um, I just plotted the teams out. I, I started with the at East Perth team and ended at the at the Bucks and the way the the, the door fell. Again, classic matchups all the way through, but. I think this father-son matchup is, is probably one of the best. I think so too. Now, we had a lot of fun on last week's show and we covered a lot of ground. One thing we did was we gave our predictions for how we thought the 2020 SBL season would have turned out. Now, you've been at Calamunda Eastern Suns training a couple of times this week since we've done that. Has anyone made any comments? Did you get much feedback from, from our predictions? Uh, yeah, there was a few surprises. Again, uh, probably teams looked at you know, people I spoke to looked at me leaving you know, the two country teams out of the out of the top eight, and that, that sort of caused not caused a few issues, but caused some some communication and some um, some discussion. And um, and then also um, on the flip side, I had a few conversations with people around how you know, two teams that have been around the mark in in the Wolves and Sterling, you you had left them out of the top eight as well. Yeah. So look, that's what we're here to do. We want people talking basketball, and our, our opinions are our own, and we'll put, uh, provide as much information as we can. And at the end of the day, we'll, we'll never know, but uh, we can only go on what we've seen and what we've heard so far. So just again, mm. great for people to be talking basketball and, and enjoying those conversations. Yeah, it's it's always amazing to me how personally people take these these sort of things and. They forget that we have to pick somebody somewhere. It's not a personal thing from our point of view. We we just are put in a position where we have to put someone somewhere. So it's always been amazing to me how sensitive people involved in clubs can be when you do that sort of thing. So you might have discovered a little bit of that and you might have even been like that a little bit as a coach. That might actually lead into my question without notice before we wrap up this first segment. But also our chat with Wayne Simmons. I had a great time with him, learned a lot about him. His basketball journey, his musical journey, and the work he's doing now in the community—that was a—that was a great chat with him. And I think he showed to everyone that the you know he's a bit of a character, he's a bit of an outgoing personality, but he's a lot of he's a he's a deeper soul than that as well. And look, I I rocked into the gym on uh, Sunday afternoon at about four o'clock, and did you see him? Oh, wow. on the leg, leg press machine was, was, leg sim, uh, was Wayne Simmons and he was very quick to inform me that this, this was the third time he'd been in there today he'd been in the morning <laughs> he'd been at lunchtime and in the, in the afternoon and just again a phenomenal man and loves giving back and just so happens uh, I've enrolled my son in a, in a holiday camp coming up in the first week of school holidays and none other than Wayne Simmons is running the basketball component oh, so wow. I can't wait for, for Owen to, to meet Wayne and, um, and get to meet him and, and, and hang out with him for a couple of days so yeah, very small world in that sense, but um, yeah, look, we're all, we're all better for having a little bit of Wayne Simmons in our life, I think. Mm. Now, we're getting closer and closer to the West Coast Classic starting, and, and great news in the past week where the restrictions are being lifted here in WA, and by the time the West Coast Classic starts, we'll be able to have no restrictions pretty much on who can come to the venue and watch these games. We can have full stadiums, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get some full stadiums. People are so keen to go out and watch some live sport, and I think we could get some really big, big crowds at some of these some of these games. Now you're obviously involved closely now at Kalamunda as far as preparations go. Do you feel like the excitement's building both at your club and in general around some live basketball coming back to us? 
Yes, I think um, everyone's been starved for that action. Uh, we've only mm. got to see how you know, people are, are tuning into the AFL and stuff like that. People are, are starved for that live basketball and live sport, so they're really looking forward to that. I know the boys up the, up the hill there, they're, they're going having a time of practice, so we've sort of got to hold them back a little bit at the moment and, and really sort of focus in on what we're trying to get done. And also from a club perspective, I know a lot of these clubs this year were sort of looking at you know, having a really good season and being able to perhaps generate a bit of extra revenue to to help anything that they might need to get done that's going to assist them in that journey into NBL 1, whether it might be installing cameras at their games or upgrading their facilities. So if we're going to be at the point where for 10 weeks clubs can sort of be having paid customers coming in and really get the crowds in there and and supporting, that's going to help these clubs out uh, immensely financially. Uh And probably uh, an advantage that we've got is that if teams are going by the the gentleman's agreement, if you will, that no one's getting paid and imports aren't out here, then... Teams are probably going to, almost going to get one free this year where they can actually yeah. put a bit of money away and reinvest that money into their infrastructure and into their, their little things that are going to raise the um, the standard, I guess, of their stadiums and, and those sorts of things, which is really going to set us up for success um, when we turn the corner into 2021. So um, I think everyone's excited from, you know, I, I'm excited driving to practice. I know the players are excited. Hopefully, you know, we, we get to that point where, yeah, there, there's five, six, seven hundred people turning up to watch these games because, again, it's a sport we love. We love watching it and, um, yeah, just can't wait to get it started. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait for it to start to start either. Now, before we wrap up this first segment, Ben, and, and get to Liam and Dan Hunt up in Geraldton, bit of a strange question this week, and maybe it's a self-indulgent one. Fascinating to know, when you're a coach, how much attention do you pay to outside noise? So, say if this podcast was happening this year while you were still coaching, would you tune in to try to find things that people say, whether it's whether it's a host or whether it's people from other teams that you could use to motivate yourself or your team? Or do you do you look closely at things that are written about the league and about your team and then use it to motivate your team? And whether it's been, been other shows in the past, you know, SBL Slam has been going for a while. As a coach, do you use things that people say publicly or write publicly? to motivate your team or do you do you try to ignore the outside noise how do you how have you always approached it i'll tell you a story that i learned very quickly about mm-hmm. not to worry about what was being written about you or what was being said so in 2008 Olympic games iran basically boycotted their quarterfinal match against the usa for political reasons and okay. it was a bit of a stir usa had to turn up and had to warm up for the game and iran essentially just didn't turn up for the game and after our quarterfinal game against eb i think it was we was mm. in the press conference and was being asked questions about that game and a journalist walked up to me as i as i left podium and he essentially walked up to me with his paper cord in his hand and he then placed it down by his side as if I, oh, this is going to be off the record. He asked me a question as to what I thought and I answered him honestly, as I will, always would, as you know that. And I said, look, I, just, mm-hmm. I, I feel bad for the players because politics has got in the way of, of them perhaps playing for a gold medal. He then uh, reported that and my name ended up on a uh, on an Iranian website and essentially wow. was being, you know, not a not a jihad against me, but was, was being spoken Pretty about close. the fact, fact that I yeah, that I was not supporting of their political plight and that sort of thing. Which was nothing I said nothing of the sort. It was more that I felt they and players had put four years of their life into this and because of, you know, things out of their control perhaps uh, that opportunity had taken away. So very, very early on in my coaching career at that level got to realise if I had listened to it all gone and found that and, and read that and worried about that then that could have perhaps 
um, influence how I'm thinking. So, mm. and I, you could ask the Wolves boys. I've said this to them on multiple times. We we tend to block out that outside noise. Um, take in what you need to find inspiration in anything you need to find inspiration in. However. You know, for me, um, if I read things and listen to people talk and every time someone said something horrible about Ben Etri, I probably wouldn't get out of bed in the morning some days, but um, <laughs> yeah. I don't because, you know what, yeah. just like me selecting a top eight and a, and a wooden spoon team, everyone's entitled mm-hmm. to an opinion. There's a, there's a quote about everybody having one and a part of, um, part yep. of life. So, look, you know, you, you take from, from everything, different horses to different courses, but as I say, uh, I'm more worried about the 12 guys that I'm going to go into battle with and and what we've done throughout the week to um, to prepare and because there is a lot of stuff out there nowadays and you know your, your family reads it and it's not great for them and so on and so forth so look everyone's entitled to an opinion but you know what end of the day come and have a chat to me you'll you'll sort of back out pretty quickly that um, probably what you're hearing is not not correct or or it's not true so that's probably mm. where I'm at with all that sort of stuff. No, f- fantastic answer and I guess from my point of view what that tells me is that a long time ago I guess I made a decision that I wanted to get along with everybody that I dealt with and that's why I guess most of my work is now geared towards working for I guess the sporting bodies and the sporting clubs rather than for media organizations and that's where I I like people that I speak to like coaches and players to be able to to trust me and I mean whether they like me or not is another thing but to at least be able to trust me where if I say it's off the record whatever we talk about then is off the record and you know you know that from over the years and any other coach or player listening that's spoken to me knows that i like to think that i've built that trust and that's a decision that i made where i didn't care about being that newsbreaker type person or going out and creating a sensational story i just wanted to tell the story that the people i was talking to wanted told and that's a decision i made a long time ago and and that's what exactly that sort of story brings to mind where that guy made a decision to deceive you and and it could have had dire circumstances. You're dealing with political issues that are pretty sensitive where he just wanted to create a story for himself and he was out for himself and he used you to, to get to whatever means that he, he wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Another one springs to mind. It's not quite as long as that, but we played a qualifier at Incheon in South Korea and mm-hmm. we were 18 kilometres from the North Korean border and I mm-hmm. sort of charted and I put out a tweet. Uh, I'm not sure how comfortable I am sitting in my hotel room 18 kilometres away from the North Korean border. Um, mm. Went to tweet, went to sleep, woke up the next morning. The official Twitter account of the North Korean Democratic People's Republic was following me on Twitter. So, <laughs> you know, you never know. And that's the sort of thing, you know, you, you learn those sort of things. But what you could have been, I didn't like the hotel, didn't like the food, whatever. But, yeah, when you wake up the next morning and you've got a new follow and you, you click mm. on it, and yeah, the, the official Twitter account was the People's Democratic Republic of North Korea. So, yeah, tips for young players, whatever you put out there, someone's going to read it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that's a good way to wrap up this first segment, I think, Ben. So when we come back, we'll speak to Dan and Liam Hunt from the Geraldton Buccaneers. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and this is a this is a hell of a treat, Ben. And this is going to be a lot of and something that I'm really looking forward to because the last couple of years, I've well, pretty much every game he's played in Perth, I've watched Liam Hunt very closely. I, I went up to Geraldton and, and spent some time up there with the Bucks as well back in 2018 and caught up with him up there. So I've I've had a fair bit to do with his last two years in the SBL. Was as as probably as painful as it is for you. I was really happy to see him win the championship last year and get that grand final MVP. And the whole time I've been working in the SBL, I've heard about the legacy of Dan Hunt and what, a, what an absolute legend he was. So to get you both on the line together right now is a hell of a treat for, for us and hopefully all of our listeners enjoy it. Liam and Dan, how do we find you this evening? Oh, no, all good, Chris. No, thanks for having us, mate. Yeah, real real pleasure and thanks for following the last couple of years, mate. It's been a treat. And, and Dan, 
how do we, yeah, how do we my, find you? Everything's, everything's great up here, but, you know, back in Gerald now, and after spending about uh, seven or eight years, my wife and I, and the two boys were in the States for a little while, and it, uh, but it's certainly great to be back in Gerald for sure. Now, Dan, what springs to mind when I mention the name Ben Etridge to you? Oh, you know, Ben and I, we played against each other for yeah. uh, a number of years, and then um, they, what the SBL needs is outspoken people to bring an interest to the game. Mm-hmm. And Ben sparks interest. He can fire people up both on his own team and he can fire up the opposition. And, you know, it's really what sports needs. I think we're so sanitized right now with everything we try to do that if somebody has an opinion, you're almost uh, you're crucified for it. Yeah. We're really, we need those opinions, certainly in, in a league like the SBL, maybe not in the NBA, but in the SBL we're trying to promote. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with having great rivalries? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, what about you, Ben? When I mention Dan Hunt's name to you, what what comes to mind? I think the ultimate competitor. What's the what's the eighty nine grand final? I think it was on GWN with broadcast. It, it, no one could believe our, our country team was uh, was on on TV playing basketball. This this sport called basketball, and Dan was out there running around against against Luke Longley, who we didn't know who Luke Longley was really. We hadn't achieved that fame yet. And then to to then be able to step on the court and, and play against someone like Dan was just like, uh, completely out of my league. I'm surprised Dan remembers that I even played because, um, <laughs> you know, just, just an absolute you know, ultimate professional. And as I said at, at the start, you know, we, Snoopy Graham gets a lot of, lot of props around the league for, for his scoring record. But I think Dan, you either beat it by one or matched it. Is that correct? Well, I think we're uh, Snoopy and I are even, Ben. Yeah, he might have got a little bit more money the next year than I got. I think <laughs> since he went to the Atlanta Hawks. There you go. So yeah, look, you know, Dan just uh, for me. Hey, hey, Eighty-two points, wasn't it? Eighty-two. Eighty-two. Yeah. yeah. Eighty-two. So, um, just yeah. Uh, someone that I had massive respect for as a player, and then uh, as I said, you know, things that he's done up there, he's built that legacy, and built that, that title town, if you will, up there in Geraldton. Um, that you know, Dan's got a huge part in that. What was it like for you last year, Dan, going back to the grand final to watch to watch Liam not only win the championship for the Bucks first time, obviously since you'd done it 19 years earlier, but to see him play such an incredible game, he was grand final MVP and and fully deserving of that. How much did that mean to you after after having achieved that success, same success as a player yourself? Well, you know, it's it's uh, you're so much more nervous when your children are involved. Hmm. Um, you know, and I thought, uh, I don't know, you just never ever settled in the game. It's such a um, hard thing, and you know, to to watch your kid out there playing in such a big moment, and then to play so well, I, I just feel. You know, it sounds from a coaching point of view, and, and Ben could probably comment better, but when I watch the game again, you know, Liam's just about, if he makes all his baskets, probably plays the perfect game. Yeah. And, you know, as far as logging up the middle and doing some other stuff, I'm sure you can nitpick and pick some things out. But when I look back and I, and I just think it was just probably the best moment of my life, of my sporting life, was to watch him play so well and box to win against, you know, a really well-coached and, and a really strong side in one room. Now, I don't mean this to be too torturous for you, Ben, but 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 what did it, I, I know how much it meant for you, for you, Liam. I spoke to you minutes after the game and just the emotion that I could, could see in your eyes and I knew what it meant to you, but winning a championship is fantastic wherever you do it. How much more did it mean for the club in the city that you grew up watching your dad play for? You knew how much it meant to them 19 years later after, after winning the last one. How much did that mean to you now that you can reflect on it? 
Yeah, no, it still means a lot, Chris. I don't yeah. think I've stopped celebrating, to be honest. <laughs> so I've seen, uh, it's been a pretty wild ride, mate. No, it's been amazing. No, it's great, man. I mean, you know, growing up in Geraldton and, you know, all these fans have just stuck around for so many years and mm. it's just unbelievable how much the town really deserves it, mate. And everyone that works behind the scenes for the Bucks organization, they all deserve it. They all felt the same that we felt. And, you know, I just think all that is just so special and that's why it makes the club so special. So obviously it's great doing it with, you know, with Dad having his championship, now I have mine, and now hopefully get Jesse back one day, my brother, and we do one as well. Yeah. So you know, those you know, it's they're really bloody hard to come by, mate. Mm -hmm. So it was such a special moment, and you know, you know, to this day, I still don't know how to react. It was that special. So it's just a, a great feeling, and the town really deserved it, and everyone involved really deserved it, mate. I mean, yes, if I can jump in there as well. Yeah, sure. like, as, as Dan said, you know, the, the difference in the game, if you look at the matchup, it was pretty close across the board and it was going to take one person to step up and, and take the game by the scruff of the neck. And, and then Liam, Liam did that. And as we've sort of seen in the past, it's, it's that performance that can sort of catapult people to the next level. If you think yeah. about a, a Marshall Nelson or Greg or someone like that, you know, in their, in their championship winning team. So, is that sort of been the catalyst for you, Liam? Have there been some sort of extra interest around the place, or you sort of you're eyeing you know, having that grand final MVP on your on your mantelpiece? Does that sort of open up some more opportunities for you? Oh, I hope so, Ben. Yeah, look, I've, I've uh, actually I haven't really told many people this, but I've actually accepted a offer to go over to Germany in October. Mm-hmm. Go play um, in the regional one division, but I'm hoping to still play in this West Coast Classic. Yeah, and. Yep. Um, yeah, mate, so that's, that's actually a big, I reckon that was a huge opening for me to go over there. That team's been following me since my college days, so okay. to get that opportunity, I think this year really sparked it. And yeah, mate, look, NBL, I think it's a terrific goal. I'd love to. I mean, I'd love the chance to, and I know the Wildcats had me there for a little bit, and they, uh, they took me to a few trainings, and unfortunately that didn't work out. But, yep. um, no, I reckon that'd be an awesome goal. Obviously, I was supposed to go to the NBL one this year, and due to this virus, that was, yeah. uh, canned. But, um, you know, hopefully I get to do that again next year and go over to the NBL 1 and, and give that a crack. Or, you know, if my last option is staying in Gerald, and I think that's probably the best last option any bar player can have. So I'll just, you know, I'm pretty happy wherever I go, Ben, to be honest. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a very fussy guy, but I just want to keep playing and play as competitively as I can. And if that's going to help me, and I'll bloody, I'll take it. Well, I want to get your thoughts, Dan. Obviously... Obviously, to me, Liam looks like he's a player that should be playing in the NBL because he can be counted as a, as a local player. He's got all of the tools that he should be in the league. And I, I remember saying so last year and writing a couple of things, you know, hopefully trying to push that case as well. You've seen a, a lot of players come and go over the last last 30 years. Should should Liam be get, getting a chance in the NBL at, at some stage? Oh, well, you're probably asking the wrong guy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, the thing is, is, Somewhere along the line, we started focusing so much on the super athletes that play so far above the rim that we forget about the basketball players. Yeah. And, and, and Liam is, Liam is athletic. Um, but he doesn't live on that. He doesn't have to play above the rim. He uses his body well, his footwork, his desire to win is, you know, fundamentally he's, he's probably the most sound player I've coached. And so. And he's a big body that, you know, that he doesn't care. He can go out to a team and set two or three picks every time down the court. Doesn't care whether he scores or not. And as long as they win. And for some reason, Chris, it's, uh, it, it just doesn't seem to have that great appeal that hmm. the really the good basketball player 
over there. We'd rather try this athlete. And, and it's, it's not, a, it's just an observation. It's not a negative. It's, it just, um, I just really, really have always recruited the basketball players. That's, sure. that's what I want. The smart ones, the Al Erickson, the Kelly Houston, the, well, Vince Kelly was a hell of an athlete, but <laughs> you know, those type of guys that just, you know, know how to get the job done. And, and I put Liam in that mold. Somebody gives him a chance. They'll never be disappointed. No, mm. absolutely not. Yeah, well, look, you just got to, again, you hit the nail on the head, that, that work rate, that desire to win, those are things that, as a coach, you, they're probably the things that are the hardest to, to get out of people. And if someone comes in with that already and then have those other things, as you said, the, the fundamentals and the, the ability to, to do a variety of different things, you know, you, you've sometimes got to look past that three-minute highlight tape on YouTube and, and go, well, no, this guy's actually a, a basketball player. He can actually make them better and, and help us win games just by doing the little intangible things. So yeah, I, I, I look around the NBL and I look at, I always look at our SBL guys and go, well, why, what's stopping this guy back? Why isn't he, isn't he getting that opportunity? And sometimes it's just the distance. Teams haven't seen, haven't seen these guys play. And that's, that's just the tyranny of being the most isolated place in the world. It's just uh, people just don't see the quality of players that are, that are, that are in this league that, that could make that step up. So yeah, we'd love to see Liam make a jump. I think it'd be phenomenal. So. Now, when we when we put together this tournament, looking at every SBL championship winning team, guys, and we come up with this matchup, your 1988 East Perth Eagles, Dan, up against the Bucks from last year, Liam. Can you talk me through, you were still relatively young back in 1988, Dan, but you were the playing coach of that team. Can you talk talk me through how you how you so successfully managed to, to, to do that job? Oh, you know, like... Uh... Well, Ben will know this, but I happen to have the best point guard ever played in the league, and that's no insult to anybody else. But Brian Funningsland was by far the best uh, point guard that, that's played in the league. And when you have a leader like that on the floor, you know the coaching side's more at training and making sure we're fit and going through the plays and getting everything. And then, uh, and of course, we ran all those plays in the game. And then when the game was tight, we just threw the ball to Fudd and say, "Can you get us over the line?" It was pretty basic coaching. Made me a great coach, not over coaching. <laughs> Did you guys play together in college? Yes, we played at University of Portland for, for three years. And then, um, then Fudge came over to East Perth. I went to Germany. And then I was on my way to Brazil when Fudge called me and said, you want to come over and have a run with East Perth? And the money in Brazil was really good. And the money in East Perth was they gave me 250 bucks when they got off my and said, go get a job. So financially, wow. I make poor decisions all the time. But uh, life, lifestyle, I've made the best decision I could ever make. Yeah, and that's kind of what, what sort of comes through with the, with all the guys we've spoken to is they didn't really know a lot about Perth when they when the opportunity arose that a lot else once they got here they, they tended to stay and make a life and and put back into put back into basketball here and, and experience all those things that the WA has to offer. So when we look at that that matchup, and I'll ask Dan first, and then I'll throw the same question to Liam. What is it of yours that you see in Liam? And Liam, what is it that you've taken from Dan into your game? Oh, I guess it's really it's really hard to to judge the things we have. You are different players, but you are sort of different. I think you're probably a you're probably a bit better shooter. Although Liam can knock through on that three, but you're probably a little bit more a um, bit more that mid range game than than straight back to the basket sort of stuff. So yeah, like I guess at that stage of my career. I was, you know, it wasn't a great score. I think in that team I only averaged about twelve points a game. The next year was a little bit better, but. It's, um, I, I was, uh, I guess. Well, the, the next year you averaged 36 points a game. 
Yeah, that was, it was a little <laughs> bit different. It was a little bit different. We had no one else. I didn't have to any, worry about anybody else. We only had a couple of three players and, you know, a couple of uh, role players. So some very good role players, by the mm. way. But at that East Bird team, I guess, you know, sort of we both bring is that competitive nature and, and uh, neither one of us, like I said before, are too worried about statistics. I probably was the next year. But that East Bird <laughs> team, you know, we, um, we had, we had a great bond. Like that's that team there got on better than any team I've ever played with, and and uh, before and after games we were always very close. And then uh, I guess you know we're very similar in the way we uh, have an eye for the rebound, a little bit of a nose for the boards. We tend to get there. We lay bodies on people. We don't really not too worried about physical side of it. It doesn't really bother us if we get bashed around a little bit. And um, and I guess. Uh, you know, and probably the attribute we both have the same is we're pretty good passing bigs. Yeah. What have you taken from Dad, man? Yeah, uh, I don't really know what to tell different, mate. I really think one thing that we definitely have in common besides all that is our communication and not afraid to talk on the court. I think it's pretty clear that I can be pretty loud on the court and, <laughs> and Dad was the same where we don't really care how we look. We just want to get the job done and we just want to win the damn thing. It's just, uh, I agree with Dad's competitive nature. I think Dad's boring ability and his aggressive mentality and his athleticism all went to my brother. So probably <laughs> that's a bit crap. But I think his, yeah, I think our competitive level and our work ethic and our, you know, rate, desire, we share that a lot. And, you know, that's just something that, yeah, we can definitely share. And I'll watch games of him and he, he's obviously seen me play. And I think we, you know, we can see spots of each other when we play. And I think that's pretty cool. Two quick questions about this matchup, Dan, I wanted to ask you. First of all, how much would you enjoy the physical battle with Matty Wandenberg? And how would you enjoy the verbal battle with Aaron Ralph? Oh, uh, well, we'd probably treat Aaron like we treated Kyle Gonder and uh, send a hitman after him, take him out on his first three, <laughs> and then maybe he'll flinch the next time. But the hitman's out of the game now, so yep. Ray Cameron would struggle to get a job. He was our hitman with Gonder, mm -hmm. and Matt wouldn't catch me, brother. Now he, I would have, I would have relished those. Those and yeah. uh, and Matt and I have played local cop against each other, and uh, I can tell you, he, he did give me a bit of a bath, and I was fairly fairly bruised after the encounter. So you know, they're both competitors, great competitors, and uh, you know, they're both you know really, really uh, well. You know, they deserve the accolade they've got over this last yeah. year and stuff. But yeah, they're tough. How would you go against your dad if you were both in your prime, Liam? Oh, look, Chris, like you said, he averaged 36 points the next year, and I don't <laughs> yeah. think he shot a three. So no. I think that'd be, I think it'd be a matchup where our, you know, the coach would, you know, Dale would probably ask me to just go play defense the whole game, and that's what I'd do. Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be a really physical and uh, hard act of a battle, but I think it'd be the hard, I don't know what era we're playing, if it's 48 minutes to 40 minutes, but I mm -hmm. think every minute we're on the floor, I think it's going to be pretty bloody physical, but I, think, I don't think I'll score more than two points, mate, because my arms won't be lifted up anymore <laughs> after the first quarter. <laughs> Do you, do, you, do you still play against each other at times? Have you ever played against each other since that one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's been years now. Okay. I don't think you realize how old I actually am, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to put you on the spot, Dan, who who would win this matchup? Your East Perth team or the t the Bucks team of last year? Well, 
Oh, shoot. You know, it's it, it's so hard, isn't it, when you look back, who's the greatest running back, O.J. Simpson or Jim Brown, and who's mm. the best basketball player. But, but we, we had a couple of X factors. We were um, we were also very big with Craig Clatworthy, Ned Coton, uh, myself, Roger Hughes. You know, we had really strong guards, Dave Achi and Paul Cummo. And, uh, of course, I just don't think that any of the guards could have matched up with Fudd. That would have mm-hmm. been our X factor. And, yeah. um, you know, you're talking about Fudd at 20-something at half in the grand final. And he had, um, well, he had seven or eight, seven or eight threes at half by memory. Mm. And that was against Ian Sadie, uh, Trevor Pugh, you know, Neville Robb. I mean, these guys are, are known for their defensive stopping. And he just, he just, you know, just lit them up like they were. And I, and I, again, due respect to them, they're terrific players. But Fudd lit them up like they weren't even there in that first half. They, re, they adjusted and did some good things in the second half. But I think Fudd being the, uh, the X factor, uh, I think that gives East Perth the edge. Do you back in your team, Liam? Would you vote for for your Bucks? <laughs> I think you got a. I think he's made some good points. I agree that Fudd is probably. Oh, no, he's definitely the best point guard to play. SBL. He mm-hmm. was tremendous. He still is tremendous. Mm. Um, but I think. I think it depends what era we played in, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you go to nowadays with a lot more spreading the floor and. A lot more three-point shooting, a lot more nitty-gritty foul calls on the big men. Yep. I don't think anyone would have any bigs left in the game. If we played play, we, we would play. I think we'd all be fouled out by half yeah. time, especially if a few SBL umpires were umpiring. I'm not going to name mm-hmm. any names, but especially if a few of them were umpiring. No, you have but been on the, on the rough end of that. <laughs> What's that. You have been on the rough end of that the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, I'm not going to comment anymore because I've already got myself <laughs> in a lot of trouble. But I think, um, I don't know, man, I mean, Marcus is tough. Coulter was extremely tough. Like, Coulter's just one of those guys. Dad says it all the time that yep. he's one of those 6'5 guys that no one really look at anymore. And, you know, he could shoot outside, but he could also post up. So it's just a nightmare to guard. Yeah. Then they got Ray, who's also a very tough defender. I don't know, mate. I really think it'd be a terrific matchup. I wish mm. there was an actual simulation, like in a video yeah. game, and see yeah. what happens. Because I think it'd just be an abs battle to the end. But, yeah, Dad won his team. I'll go mine. Yep. So that's what it comes down to. And I think, yeah. If you get me and Maddie in there at the same time, it's really mm. hard to bruise the spells at the same time. But I'd be Absolutely. excited to just watch it. That'd be yeah, awesome to see how the statistics go of it too. No, it was brilliant. Like as I said, it just the way the card fell, and that was the one that, that popped up first. And I was just like, "This is that's actually what spurred it on for me." Like I saw that, and I was like, "Got to go through the whole the history and and look at this." And I think you're right there with with Fudge, but. Again, you guys had a kid that was pretty special in in um, in, in Lucas, and he, you know, I think, in this modern game, uh, he proved in the semi-finals, and then in, in that grand final, he was he was just almost unguardable. He was, you know, we threw the kitchen sink and everything else, and he um, he managed just to cut us up. But having watched Fudd Fudd play and and seeing what he's done, and that alone would have been worth price of admission. I think watching those two go head to head as well. Yeah, they'd certainly be great. They'd be great games, you know. And, uh, you know, if you take that, talking about grand final nights, but if you take the way Alex played against uh, Lakeside, especially yeah. in, in games two yeah. and three, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's when he, because, uh, you know, like I was saying the other day, Alex is sort of, you know, was always sort of that uh, sort of role player with the box. He came in, he was always young and working his way. And then when we got in a bit of trouble at Lakeside, he just said, all right, boys, hop on. Here we go. And uh, he was incredible in game two and game three. I mean, but game two was a spectacular exhibition of how to play the game. 
And look, that comment just there has got me thinking again. We've sort of had these conversations flying around that the league isn't going to be this West Coast Classic. It's not. It's watered down and the teams aren't going to take it seriously. There is an opportunity that was presented to a kid who, as you said, wasn't was a, a phenomenal player and at that junior level, Australian junior level was great. But the fact that the import they had been playing that same spot weren't there and suddenly, you know, in, in, a, in a semi-final, gets told, your time to take over. And he does it. And it just, you know, the, the evolution of him from game one to game two, three in the grand final, if those other imports had been there, then he doesn't get that opportunity perhaps. But we saw a kid get given an opportunity because of the way the cards fell. And I, I look at this, the West Coast Classic being a similar situation for a lot of these guys who have been in a similar position where they have to sit behind a couple of older guys or an import that's brought in to do a job, but now these kids are going to get thrust into an opportunity where they're going to be great. Uh, and I think that's um, definitely a really good comment there where he just took it, took the game on and was, was thrust into that leadership role and, and was ready. So, yeah. I agree with you, Ben. I think it's going to be, I reckon it's going to be ultra competitive, man. I mean, I know I've been a bit sore for training the past couple of weeks. Mm. I think it's going to be like, we've got our young guys coming up. We've got a couple of young kids that, you know, no one huh. will know, really, unless you played against them in country week. They probably have friends like that. But I think you know, Alex, is, Alex might be back too, is he? Like, Alex is going back to America. Oh, he's going back, is he? Um, yeah, he's going to go back, mate. On Tuesday, so okay. he's, um, he's done, mate. So that's unfortunate. But then, you know, you know, I've got um, my brothers coming into play, and oh, good. You know, I'm going to stick around and play for the season. And then, you know, I've got a couple other guys. You know, they're going to have to really step up versus guards. And you know, Braden Inger is a huge factor in our. He's a huge season. talent. Yeah. Yep, and um, I think he's going to be really special. He's going to want to go out through something. And I, you know, I, I told uh, this Wildcat assistant coach the other day. I said, I'll keep an eye on him and they'll see what he can do. Oh, I thought the same thing. You know, 12, 18 months ago, I thought he's he's talented enough because. He's a local too to play in the NBL one day, and nothing he did last year changed my mind about that. And if he continues to improve, he can take that next step too. But for you personally, Liam, this is almost perfect timing. The fact that you've signed up to go and play in Germany, you potentially played this West Coast Classic up until late September, then you're pretty much in tip top shape to head over to, to Germany. Timing wise, it's, it's perfect. Yeah, mate, no, it is. It's, it's, I'm actually very fortunate this is one of the only leagues going around that's actually going. Yeah. I think it is the only league it in Australia is, yeah. that's going. So I also think that's going to pick up NBL interest this year, yep. where I think NBL coaches that know that this league's happening know that these guys are actually going to be in game shape and playing shape. And it's like, well, this is a free run for the SBL. This is time to really show what we're capable of because there's no one else going. Mm-hmm. So I think this is bloody go time for us. And I think this is our real time to step on their throat and say, hey, we're here to play basketball and we're here to kick some ass. But yeah. no, mate, I'm, I'm pumped, man. I'm really excited to, you know, play, obviously, and, and, you know, head to Germany and do a different challenge and do a different task and, you know, do the same thing I do for a different team and, and help them win, mm-hmm. you know? So I think uh, this classic's going to be a great example for it and looking forward to the next few months. So I'm just happy there's basketball back, mate, to be honest. I'm pumped. Yeah, for sure. Can I just ask you a quick question? Do, yeah. do you wear the same number as Dan? Do, do I? Yeah. No, no, no. Well, I, I wore it in college for Dad. I wore number 32 yeah. in college for a okay. few years. Yeah. And then uh, I, I went 33 just for just because Dad built his legacy here. And uh, yeah. I was kind of getting sick of being called Dan Hunt. Sounds like it's true. <laughs> Just go ahead and kick some ass and do something for myself yeah. and make my own name. But I think my brother might want to try and do it, mate. I'm not too sure. But um, okay. yeah, mate, I've just had the chance to maybe Germany. I'll go over and pick 32. But if not, I might run with 33 and see what I can make of myself. 
forge your own forge your own legacy, mate. You're doing a great job. Yeah, thanks, Len. I appreciate that, Ben. One last one for for you, Dan. You played in two championships: that East, East Perth one in 1988, and then 2000 with the Bucks. Which of those two teams would you would you pick if they end up matched up against each other? Well, um, that's a really good question because now you throw Alan Erickson in the mix. Yeah. And uh, my gosh, he was uh, he was a competitor. Um, oh, yeah, that was that's a tough one. It's um, I, I, we had a probably with Greg Brown on the team, and I, I think uh, on paper you would think the Bucks would win that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, that East Perth team, we just had a little something about us. I mean, we played that long league wall team and, and beat them by about 30 in the, uh, semifinals. Mind you, I think they're both about 16 years old at the time, <laughs> uh, when East Perth beat them. Yeah, I'd have to say that'd be a draw and go to about six overtime. Yeah. Why didn't Eric Watterson play in the grand final? He's listed as your, uh, as your, great question. And Mike Ellison was, Mike Ellis was allowed to play for Sterling. So, um, we were, um, the Wildcats weren't allowed to play. And, okay. uh, and then uh, Mike up playing in the semifinal. So we protested, and somehow we couldn't get Eric over the line. So you'd have okay. to ask uh, the powers be. But, um, but I've got to say, having Waddle on the bench coaching uh, yeah. was crucial in that game. He was so crucial to that, uh, to that East Perth win. And such a, such a loyal East Perth boy at the time, too. He was, uh, when everybody else sort of went to Wanneroo, he got that championship. And that we happened to beat Wanneroo was just, uh, it was really good for the club at the time. I, I do remember that we, you know, uh, Neville Robb and uh, Ian Sadie and Bryn Jones and oh, there's 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 quite a few I can't. And maybe uh, Adam Bryn, all left East Perth went to Wanneroo, and then um, and then the next year that East Perth team who couldn't even afford uh, shorts, those were actually sewn by Dion D'Agostino's sister and her mom <laughs> wow. uh, before, before our first game. They were they just bought some material and sewed sewed us some shorts, and we uh, had a good game, so we kept them on the rest of the year, but. Uh, um, it was it was a huge win for the club for for East Perth. That was you know, and, and like I said, such great guys. And wow, geez, that's tough one. I, I think I got to Yeah, I don't know, man, but I'm not giving up my box one for nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, you got two remote. It's um, it's pretty special. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, you know, like to be in I think five grand finals, four losses, yeah, for the win. Yeah, that, that was tough, you know. And the first one was just so happy to be there. Um, the next next three we were gutted, you know. And so oh, to, to get that one finally was uh, was really special. Uh, I think Ben knows how you feel. Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, they do. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, from it, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I think, Ben, this chat has been everything we hoped it would be. Liam and Dan, it's been, been great fun catching up with you both. Now that you're playing the West Coast Classic, Liam, I'm excited by that. So I look forward to catching up with you when you do do come down to Perth in, in the coming weeks and so I can see you play again. But, yeah, I mean, thanks very much for joining us. Hopefully everyone enjoyed hearing the father and son have a chat about, about their basketball life and playing against each other as well. And, yeah, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. But thanks for joining us here on SBL Shootaround. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, mate. Looking forward to catching up. Thanks, fellas. That was great. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All the best. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and we're continuing our discussion about this NCAA tournament to crown the ultimate SBL championship team. We've got our 32 teams. We've got our all our round of 32 matchups. So let's get straight to it. I'll get the thoughts of Ben quickly, and then we're joined by Callum Underies and Suns head coach Mark Utley, who will give us a bit more detail on why he has predicted who he'll think will win each matchup too. So let's get straight to it. The East Perth Eagles of 1988. 
against the Geraldton Buccaneers of 2019. Ben? I've got the 88 Eagles in that one. Mark? I've gone for the 2019 Buccaneers. I know Fuds and Dan were tough, but I felt there was more depth and uh, Colton Lasher probably gets the advantage over Ray Chamberlain just. Well, a great matchup. Perth Redbacks in 1989, the Prairie Lakes Hawks of 2018. I've gone uh, the 89 Redbacks. I've gone the 89 Redbacks as well. Looking at the 89 Redbacks, Michael Matt Beeswart was outstanding. Mm. And they, it, we seem to forget that Daryl Pace, who was an import around for a few years, was also on that team as well. And a young Blaha Longley just kept it off. Mm-hmm. Then the Perth Redbacks of 1990 against the Perth Redbacks of 2017. Yeah, I just think the, the 1990 Redbacks are a very, very good team and I'm predicting they go a very long way in this tournament. For a long time, I've actually thought the 1990 because I, I was a very young kid watching this grand final from the bench because Sterling um, was one of the greatest teams of all time. If you look at their depth. And they win this one for me, even though it's closer than you actually think. And I think that was one of the toughest matchups in the whole first bracket. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. The Swan City Mustangs in 1991, Coburn Cougars of 2016. You talk about the 1990 team being talented. The Swan City Mustangs is, is up there as, as one of the most talented teams to ever. Grace the hardwood floor, so I'm 91 Mustangs in this matchup. Mm-hmm. And, and so am I, 99 Mustangs. They had uh, unbelievable depth and they just about had every position covered. I think their only maybe fall down is not a true point guard, but they um, certainly had all the talent Coburn Cougars, 1992. The Joondalup Wolves of 2015. Yeah, it was a really tough one for me, but I just think 2015 Wolves with just one through 10, a lot of depth there. So I'm going 2015 Wolves. I've gone the 2015 Wolves as well. I think it uh, was pretty close, but um, I thought that Wolves team was, was super strong with their depth and had talent all over. Then we've got the Wanneroo Wolves of 1993, the East Perth Eagles of 2014. Yeah, uh, I'm going 2014 Eagles. Uh, Tom Jervis is just uh, too big and too strong. You know, even though Vincent and Fudge were leading the way for the Wolves, I just think Jervis, Kyle, Drew and, and Nuo, bit too much talent on the floor there. I've gone the Eagles as well over the 93 Wolves. It was a bit of a Cinderella story, the 93 Wolves. Great team, had, had great potential, but that Eagles team is surprisingly really stacked in every position. Then we've got Perry Lakes Hawks, 1994, who a lot of people will be surprised to, to realise, I think, that there was still a 19-year-old CJ Bruden on that team, but it was a stacked Lakeside Lightning 2013 team for them to come up against. Yeah, was Pete Hanson on this um, slam? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he was. Yeah, I'm going Hanson and up off this too, too big, too strong inside and, and a young CJ Bruton. You know, you, you never underestimated Bruton in a grand final. I think he's six for six in grand finals or six grand finals at NBA level. So, yeah, 94 Hawks. I actually uh, have a bit of a mathematical formula that I've developed during the week to make this legitimate and valid. And this one, I had the Hawks only winning by one. Um, yeah. It was a really close, close battle, um, some real amazing things, and I actually took into consideration the coaches. And when you think the coaching matchup of John Gardner and Andy Stewart is, is amazing mm-hmm. in this one, and I've got the Hawks yeah. in one. Southwest Slammers, their first championship in 1995. They come up against the Coburn Cougars of 2012. Yeah, I think uh, the Slammers, given James 
James Fitzgerald and his story of how pretty much started from 1990 when he arrived in that 10-game winning streak. And he and, uh, tasted the disappointment and they were ready and primed in 95. So I'm taking 95 slammers in the front. That's really, really interesting. I actually had the 2012 Cougars win this by three. Mm. Yeah, I looked at their Flamers first team was talented, but I thought their bench was a little bit not as deep, and Cougars were very deep. So I actually had the Cougars by three in that one. Then the Slammers again of 1996, another team of yours, Ben, the Wolves of 2011. Yeah, as I said before, I think um, Greg Hyde, Damien Maddox, John Vadre, is too big and too strong uh, inside, and Doug uh, Robbins is a point guard, uh, Matt mm. Fettig and, and Tim Salinas in. It is the year before he put up his MVP caliber numbers. They're still doing yep. great things. So I just think um, that team is, is pretty good. And then you've got you know, those young kids who are ready and sort of set us on that path afterwards for the next 10 years on the bench. Um, yeah, the 2011 Wolves for me. I had the 2011 Wolves well, actually. I thought that was, uh, they won that one. Perth Redbacks of 1997 against the Willardon Tigers, their lone championship in the men's competition in 2010. Yeah, look, I just think that um, Willowton team was super talented to two NBL sort of, you know, fringe superstars and, and yep. Prince as well. The 2010 Tigers there, but you know, Ken Epperson and Dewey Michaels would have been a, a, a tough to handle down low for DJ, but they, yep. they did have, um, uh, what was the import's name? Sure. Yeah, Ty Shaw. Yep. I think yep. would have been very serviceable in that game, hard work. So, yeah, 2010 Tigers. Another one that I've actually in my formula got only winning by one. I think this is a really close battle, and I've tied by one as well. The Redbacks get them on deck. The Tigers' bench wasn't as strong as that Redbacks' bench, and it was closer than it really looked. So I've got the Tigers by one. Now back to the Southwest Slammers of 1998, the Lakeside Lightning of 2009. Yeah, I think, uh, again, that Slammers pedigree, James Fitch, Wade Bennett, uh, Ricardo Boyd's fully cemented in that lineup now. So, uh, yeah, Slammers, 98 Slammers. 98 Slammers for me, too, as well. Uh, They're the Slammers again of 99, the Goldfields Giants, 2008. I think that uh, Giants team was phenomenal. Uh, again, yeah. that came up laden. You know, some, some good Australians in there. Two quality imports. You know, Mike Haney and, uh, and Darnell Dial. Um, that's a tough matchup for anyone. I have the Giants as well in that one. Of the Slammers. The Geraldton Buccaneers from 2000. The Goldfields Giants. Their first of, of their back-to-back 2007. Well, I'll talk about the... The man on the bench that we just spoke to, Dan Hunt, I mean, if he's on your bench and he's waving towels and he's um, revving you up um, from the bench while the the imports are out there and everyone else is out there playing, yeah, this is a this is a really tough one for me. I might let Mark talk about stuff that he he was salivating over, but I actually have the uh, the two thousand bucks slightly ahead um, in this one. It's it's really interesting. My formula comes out to the Giants, which. Hurts me because this Bucks team's my favourite with some of my best friends. That was a super deep, uh, deep team. Yeah, you know, Shavis Valentine in the point was really good. The matchup that I was talking about was a young Mike Haney against a mature Ericsson. Would have, I would have paid money to go see. It would have been quite brutal at times. They, they're two competitors. And I looked at that matchup having Haney as the otherwise four man with Ericsson in there as well. That's great. But I've actually got the 2007 Giant uh, winning that by two. 
Mm-hmm. Harry Lakes Hawks, 2001. The Lakeside Lightning of 2006. I simply split this one on the you know, lakeside of 2006. It just, you know, they've lost one in 2005. Um, I think they would have been, Andy would have had them primed and ready in 2006. So, yeah, 2006 Lightning in that one. Wow. This is the uh, one that I was actually uh, quite a big mark in my style. I've got the 2001 Hawks. Um, that mm. was the one where they had Earl as their second import who put up pretty good numbers but just got really hot in the finals. And they had all, but I actually had that 2001 Hawk with a very big score across the board, if you have a look at them. Now, the same two teams, the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2002, Lakeside Lightning of 2005. Yeah, and the same thing again, it's, it's, it's very similar. Um, and I think more just, just because of I picked Lakeside in the one before, I've gone for Perry Lakes 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gone for Perry Lakes 2002. The last one, the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2003, Perry Lakes Hawks of 2004. Simply on personnel, and that, that personnel is, is Matt Burston being president in 2003, and uh, young Tom Garlock there as well. However, 2004 Hawks team to begin to win it the year after without that, says there was something special in that group. Uh, but I just think too much talent with those two in, NBL inclusions in that 2003 Hawks team. Yeah, I had 2003 Hawk, well. There we go. I think yeah. we need to let you go, Mark, but we'll be back next week with our Sweet 16 matchups. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was actually good to have a look at them all and, and go through what the odds are, so I really quite enjoyed it. It's amazing when you look at it um, and you put a formula to it, but sometimes you know, the analytics don't actually go on, on what the greatest teams are, and I think all 32 of these teams could have the right be the greatest on their night. So it's one of those things that it's really good and good fun to look at. They're all great teams. Yeah, absolutely, and we look forward to continuing this journey in the in the coming weeks with you too. Sounds good. Have a good Thanks, Mark. See you, mate. Thanks, Mark. See you, mate. Okay, thanks to Mark Utley for his insights there into our, our tips for the, the round of 30, 32 matchups. We'll come back next week, obviously, and we'll take into account our listeners' views. And we've already been getting plenty of votes through our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and our Twitter account. And by the time this show drops, the, the voting might still be just open if you get in very quickly. So you might be able to just catch in the last votes for, for the matchups. And when we come back next week, we'll have all of the winners of those matchups and we'll have the teams who are playing off in the Sweet 16. We'll be down to the final 16 teams. So that'll be that'll be fascinating. So stay tuned to our social media accounts to find out all of the latest news there. This has been a been a massive show, show Ben. And as we've gone along, what we've, what we've decided to do, stay tuned later this week. We'll release a very special... I know we talked about how, how Mike Farrell would be joining us on this show. What we're going to do, we're going to release a very special bonus episode for our listeners on SBR Shoot Around this week. So it'll be an episode just with our chat with Mike Farrell. It's something that was too good to be condensed into into this episode because we've already got so much covered with Dan and Liam Hunt joining us. So a very special episode we will release this week as a special treat for you with Mike Farrell, who, great as a player as he is, he might be an even better communicator and analyst of basketball. His his basketball mind and knowledge is absolutely phenomenal. 
Yeah, as I as I alluded to at the start when people listen, he's one of the smartest basketball players that I've ever been around. And for someone who's been away from the league for nearly a decade or just over, his uh, understanding and his ability to, to pick out those special players and those special teams is something not to be missed. Absolutely. So I urge you all to tune into his his special episode, which will release as, as well this week, and, and his insights into the most efficient players from these championship teams, and great in, insight into into the best of these teams as well. It's it's well and truly worth listening to. So listen out for that, and I hope you've all enjoyed this episode where the chat with Dan and Liam Hunt was well and truly worth tuning in for, and. It's been it's been a big show. It's been a been a big night, Ben, and we're having more and more fun. I think the more we get into into this whole SBL shoot around life, and we're getting closer and closer to the West Coast Classic all the time. I'm going to sign off. I'm Chris Pike, Ben Etridge. What can you leave us with for another week? Again, as I said last week, basketball is definitely back. We're under a month away from the West Coast Classic. Starting to hear of a few big names that that are going to be playing in that tournament. There's a few names that aren't. Um, but at the end of the day, when the ball goes up in the air, we're all going to be playing hard. So really looking forward to that happening. We're three weeks away from crowning our ultimate SVL champion, um, and we're, along the way we're having conversations and, and catching up around basketball, which, which is the game we love and why we're here. So looking forward to having a bit more interaction on our social media with people and, and hit us up and let us know what you're thinking. Um, get voting for your favourite team and the team you think is going to go through. Um, but yeah, just looking forward to being back in a basketball stadium um, with people around cheering for the games and supporting their clubs um, very, very soon.